Last week, we began a new series that we are calling Deeply Formed, and it is loosely based off of a book that I've read a few times this year that I highly recommend. It's a book called uh, The Deeply Formed Life by Rich Velotis. And um, basically, the big idea is that as we are beginning to emerge from sort of the COVID winter, from a year of isolation and division and confusion and grief, um, we want to be intentional about the kind of life that we are seeking to rebuild. You see, after being in isolation for so long and after being sort of stewing in our feelings for so long and just you know, being uncertain about who it's okay to be around and what we're comfortable with, it feels like we're beginning to sort of emerge from our bunkers after a long and brutal storm and that we're just starting to sort of assess the damage that we see around us. Globally, we are seeing that the pandemic has affected us in lasting ways. Besides just the significant death toll, um, which is real, and the ongoing health effects that many are experiencing from COVID-19, people are also emerging with all kinds of other issues. We're seeing addiction has gone through the roof. We're seeing depression and other mental health struggles are on the rise. Marriages that have been strained or broken during this year. Uh, families that have been torn apart by politics. And many people are similarly and simultaneously grieving the loss of loved ones whom they weren't even able to mourn because there was no ability to get together for a funeral or a memorial service. It has been a hard year and a half. Amen? And so as we emerge, we want to take time to process We want to process the collective trauma that we have all been through together. And as well, we want to process what kind of life each of us is called to rebuild. Because right now, we actually have an opportunity to thoughtfully consider whether the pace and the habits of the before times, whether they're healthy for us as we move forward. We get to reconstruct our lives in a healthy way if we want to. And so today, we are going to talk about one aspect of that deeply formed life, which is interior examination, the importance of paying attention to what is happening under the surface at a deeper level, at a soul level for each of us. Think back with me to December 2019. Um, At that time, I remember all over social media, uh, people were talking about how 2020 was going to be the best year ever. And we were all talking, like people were talking about how like 2019 was the worst and I can't can't leave that garbage behind. We're going to live with 2020 vision. I'm focused. It's a new year. It's a new decade. It's a new me. I don't even remember what was so bad about 2019. Like, (laughs) and then in the church in America, prophetic people and sort of the charismatic circles were simultaneously prophesying the same thing that we were going to see 2020 as a year of vision, 2020 vision, 2020 vision. And if you think about it, all of these people were half right. Um, On one hand, none of them seemed to have enough vision to see that this year was going to suck Um, and that it was like everything that was about to happen. But on the other hand, 2020 really did bring a lot of clarity. It wasn't so much that 2020 was a year of vision as much as it was a year of revealing. It revealed just how divided our nation is politically right now. 
It revealed along partisan lines that people no longer even have a shared sense of reality or truth. It, it further revealed stuff that we knew, but we experienced in an acute way the racial division and pain in our country. It revealed the cracks in our relationships with, with in our marriages or with our children, our families and friends. It revealed what kind of coping mechanisms we go to when we are under a lot of stress. It revealed how much resilience we have mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. 2020 was a time where we were stripped of all of the superficial, vague religious platitudes, and we were forced to examine what really existed underneath the surface. And I think that this was a good thing for us. As painful as it is, God uses these times of stress to invite us to look at what is actually happening in our hearts. When I was younger, when I was in my early 20s, I had a mentor and a friend, and he used to talk about how when he was young and when he was single, he had this like vision for his life where he was going to change and impact the globe. He was going to preach the gospel. He was, ho- you know, he was holy. He was good. There were no issues in his life. And then he got married. And what he realized is that he wasn't so good and he wasn't so holy. He was just undisturbed. And that this woman was disturbing his life. And, um, and I used to laugh at that, and we thought it was really funny. And then I got married like a year later, and I discovered that I also was being disturbed by this wonderful woman. And then I had kids, and that was like a whole nother level. And here's the thing about what we've gone through in this nation and globally this last year is that we who thought that our lives were pretty well put together, I mean, we had issues we were concerned about, but then the shaking happened and we realized that our lives weren't so great and that our hearts may not have even been so great. We had just been undisturbed and then we were shaken and it sort of shook all of the stuff that was settled at the bottom and brought it all to the surface and we had to develop new filters so that we don't just leak it out all over social media. You see, to follow Jesus in this world requires us to embrace a fully human life, one that is alive to the complexity of our internal worlds that are often ignored and repressed and explained away with Bible verses in the name of looking okay. In Matthew 7, at the end of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus shares a story of two builders. And see, one builder was wise, and he had all of his materials, and he constructed his house on a firm foundation that was a rock. And then there was another builder who had the same materials and everything that the other guy did, but he built his uh, house on a sandy foundation. And Jesus says that these two foundations are, uh, the, the difference between these two foundations is that the wise builder is the one who hears the words of Jesus and puts them into practice. And And for whom those words, those teachings actually become part of them, their personality, their DNA, their life vision, everything. And on the other hand, the foolish builder is someone who hears those same words, but just doesn't actually implement them in their lives. Doesn't let them get into themselves, doesn't practice them uh, out in the world. Both of these builders have the same resources, the same opportunity, and they construct similar structures. And they look identically good until... The storm comes, and when the rains pour down and the floods come up, one house stands firm, and the other house is washed away. These houses both look great until they are tested. 
And then you see what's really going on underneath them. The storm is what reveals the foundation. And we have collectively been through a storm. And in many ways, we are still in the midst of one. And everyone's foundation is being exposed right now. And some find themselves 18 months into this standing firm. In fact, feeling like they're standing even stronger than when this whole thing began. While others feel like things in their life have just been washing away. And the distinction between the two isn't how severe your individual storm felt, but rather how, stro- how strong your foundation was before the rain started. It's storms like this that reveal cracks in the foundation. It turns the things that we once regarded as like a petty annoyance that we should eventually get to, a little flaw maybe in our character that we should deal with at some time, and then the storm hits and you realize this is suddenly a crisis. Things like, yeah, you know, I know I get angry. I know I have a tendency to lash out. I really should deal with that. And then all of a sudden you're stuck in quarantine with your family. Day after day, week, month, and even a year, And what was once an occasional flare-up suddenly starts to feel like a simmering, seething anger. Or maybe you thought to yourself, you know, I I feel like I'm probably drinking too much. Um, I should tone that down. I should cut that back. And then a year, like what what we just experienced, a year of stress and boredom leads to earlier and earlier day drinking. And what was once occasional becomes habitual. Or maybe you were thinking to yourself, you know, my marriage, it just feels like there's so much stress and strain. And my husband and I, we need to learn how to communicate. And then suddenly you're locked in a house together. And what was once kind of a little bit annoying suddenly feels a thousand percent more unbearable. And you still don't have the tools to communicate. For me, this year actually revealed two major issues in my life. And both of them were things that I was aware of before, but they felt really dialed up during, during 2020. During uh, stretches of high stress, I found myself experiencing harder and hotter anger underneath the surface. Because like, that's my personality makeup. I, I'm not very emotional, but I am angry. <laughs> um, I don't know why I shared that. Um, <laughs> And so during this year where there was all of this stress, there would be these times where I'd be feeling this anger underneath the surface. And it took all of the strength that I had to go to work and to be in meetings with people and to be counseling people over Zoom or something like that. And feeling the frustration boiling up and having to just like hold it in and bottle it down and don't, don't lash out. And then you finally get home and your kids do something that, they, that you didn't want them to do and you just, your, your lid just pops off. And my family ended up receiving the brunt of much of my unresolved issues. The other thing that was revealed in my life was a tendency to escape stress by checking out, which I think is actually like a major generational problem right now. Not living present to the moment and instead escaping to my office, into a book, into a podcast, um, you know, into my work even. And this year I feel like I've lived my whole life with, with an, one earbud in my ear, half listening to people and half checking out and ignoring people. And again, my family taking the brunt of it. And all of these are like check engine lights that are on our dashboard. They're pointing out that something needs to be looked at underneath the surface. When I was 17 years old, I had a uh, 1992 Toyota 4Runner. 
and it was a piece of garbage. Um, it felt like there were constant problems with it. It was in the shop half the time. I was trying to figure out how to fix it. It was a nightmare. And because it was such a piece of junk, I became accustomed to seeing dashboard lights turn on and off, you know, and then, and you just sort of like kind of ignore it. And so my check engine lights on for a month, what else is new? And you keep driving around and you're like, you know, that's been on for a while. I should probably get that looked at. I'll get around to it eventually. And then suddenly, uh, along with the check engine light comes the oil pressure light that shows up. And you're like, oh, that's probably a little bit more serious. I should eventually look into that. You keep driving. And then I started to hear this little knock underneath the engine, or underneath the hood of the engine. Just just this slight little knocking sound. I thought, that doesn't sound good. I should probably get around to looking at that. Until one day at 7 a.m. when I'm on my way to school, all of a sudden my engine blows. And because I didn't pay attention to any of the warning lights ahead of time. And then my dad shows up to help me tow my car. And he says, this is so interesting. You didn't have any signs that this was happening? Oh, no, dad. You know this car. It's just a piece of junk. (laughs) I know people who refuse to go to the doctor because they're terrified if they go to the doctor. What if the doctor finds out that they're sick? And they discover that there's a problem. It's easier to just not go than it is to face something that is potentially really problematic. And see, interior examination is paying attention to the actual signs of unhealth that these times of pressure reveal for us. Not just ignoring it and pretending like, hey, we're all emerging from COVID. I'm just going to pretend like 2020 didn't happen and go about my life. We actually have an opportunity to really look under the hood, paying attention to our feelings, our habits, our physical symptoms, and our relationships. Interior examination is a way of life that considers the reality of our inner worlds for the sake of our own flourishing and the call to love others. You will not be able to ultimately flourish or love people well if you are not aware of what is happening underneath the surface. And so last week, as we kicked off this series, we talked about contemplative rhythms and habits uh, that we can use to learn how to listen deeply to the voice of God. Today, as we talk about interior examination, we are actually learning how to deeply listen to ourselves. As Rich Velotis points out in his book, The Deeply Formed Life, knowing ourselves is integrally connected to our ability to know God. Throughout the history of God's people, leaders in the church, even leaders in Israel, reminded us over and over again about the importance of self-examination. St. Augustine uh, wrote, O God, let me know myself, let me know you. And then a couple thousand years later, the prophet Ice Cube said, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. (laughs) This is not a new message But perhaps John Calvin, um, the famous reformer, uh, may have said it better than anyone else. In, In his Institutes of the Christian Religion, he wrote, The knowledge of God and that of ourselves are connected. Without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Without knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. Now, when you read, when you read a, a quote like that, we have sort of 21st century filters 
where we think in sort of this like pseudo therapeutic uh, culture that we live in, you know, it's all about just like being true to yourself, knowing yourself and being honest about who that is. That's not really what John Calvin was saying in, in this quote, what John Calvin is referencing is us having a knowledge of our creatureliness of our condition of sin, of our, our human frailty and fallenness. It's a self-knowledge that recognizes um, our fallen state apart from God. But I want to say that sin, when we talk about sin, we're not just talking about sort of following moral rules or personal rebellion against God, although it does include that. But sin is even deeper. It permeates everything. It is woven into every aspect of our humanity, our human relationships, and even societal structures and constructs. Rich Velotis, in his book, he writes, Sin is a principle of captivity to a power that permeates and contaminates our human reality. Sin is the word Christians use to name not simply our failed acts, but also our inner and outer captivity. If we embrace a fuller understanding of the nature of sin, knowledge of self extends beyond our obvious acts of transgression or our insufficiency to save ourselves. It also extends to the limits and failure of living lives marked by wholeness. God in Christ takes on our sin that we may live forgiven, free, and whole. And this wholeness extends to every aspect of life. You see, as Christians, we are not just people who are looking for some kind of solution to cancel out the debt of sin, though we are committed to that. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. He died on a cross in our place for our sin, rose to new life as an assurance and a guarantee that one day we would rise with him into new life. But when he came addressing sin, it wasn't just to sort of pay a penalty. What Jesus came was to actually conquer the very thing that was destroying us. And he came to, to free us so that we could live a life of what Rich Velotis calls wholeness. Because sin permeates our humanity and our world, we need a multifaceted approach for examining our lives, our creatureliness. The Bible calls us to examine every aspect of our humanity. First, we see in Psalm 139 an invitation to examine our heart and our mind and our motivation uh, David, the psalmist, writes, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test or examine me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You see, for David, he knew because God alone can see what's deep under the surface, things that we are blind to, that the, the, the Bible actually says we deceive ourselves from even being able to see and comprehend. Only God can see it. And so therefore we need to invite God to come in and search and examine and reveal those things that we can't see. We invite God to come in like a building inspector. I, I grew up in the trades. My dad has a, a hardwood flooring company. And so I was constantly around construction workers. And when I went to go buy my first house, I thought, I have been around construction my entire life. I am certain that I would be able to just inspect the house myself if I needed to. But then you hire a building inspector and he sees things that I never would have seen. Because he goes to places that I have never been before. And God is like a building inspector getting down in the crawl space to check our foundation. And so we invite him to inspect us and to lead us into healing and maturity. And, it, and when we do, it prepares us for these seasons of pain when the storm beats against our house. 
You see, we need to practice interior examination, not just when the rain is pouring outside and the waves are crashing against our home, but God invites us to develop a lifestyle of habitually inspecting and checking the foundation during peace times so that we can be ready during times of trial. The second thing we see in the Bible is the examination of faith. In 2 Corinthians 13, Paul calls the church to carefully examine the authenticity of their faith. I I actually finished 2 Corinthians again uh, last week, and it's fascinating. Paul's like, you guys need to check what's going on in your own hearts and in your own church, because I'm about to show up, and I've got a test for you too. I have no idea what that test was, but it sounds terrifying. And this is what he writes in chapter 13, verse 5. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? Now, this call to examine the condition or the authenticity of our faith, it's not a a paralysis of fear or responding to every salvation altar call just to be sure that you're going to make your way into heaven. No, Paul is calling the church to pay attention to their lives and consider whether they are living obediently and consistently with the life of God's presence that Christians are invited to live. When I was a kid, um, I grew up in, in the church, and I was terrified that I wasn't going to go to heaven. And so I prayed every night before I went to bed, Jesus, come into my heart. I'm so sorry. I blew it again today. Please don't send me to hell. Or even scarier, let my family disappear in the rapture while I'm sleeping. It's really scary when you're like nine years old. And so every Sunday... They would invite kids, hey, does anybody want to give their life to Jesus? And every single Sunday, I put my hand up, I went forward in tears giving my life to Jesus. I was a pastor's dream. I boosted that church's stats. So good. They're like, man, we're getting, people are getting saved every week. This is amazing. It was just me. And then somebody finally pointed out that the urgency that I was feeling in my soul was in itself the sign that God had me close to him. And it was so like... So encouraging for me. Because we have, what we need to be paying attention to is those moments where we stop feeling the conviction of sin. Where we no longer have the urgency or the concern. Am I living a life that is worthy of the calling? And Paul would say, examine your faith. Third, we are called to examine our ways. In Lamentations 3, the prophet Jeremiah writes, Let us examine our ways and test them. And let us return to the Lord. Now, Lamentations was a long poem that was written by the prophet Jeremiah right as Jerusalem was being sacked and the temple was being destroyed by the Babylonians. One of the most horrific national shakings I could imagine. And in the midst of this time of trauma, Jeremiah laments that the people of God had lived mindlessly, caught up in their own ways and their own concerns and their own comfort. And God corrected them through this horrific shaking of their nation. And finally, number four, an examination of the fruit in our lives. In Jesus, uh, Jesus says in Matthew 7, By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. You see, the fruit, the stuff that's coming out of our lives, it demonstrates kind of what's at the root system of of us if we were a, a tree. 
And so one way to examine our hearts is to consider the outcomes of our lives. And that's really hard. It's really painful, especially when things don't feel like they're quite going your way. But paying attention to the condition of our relationships or our productivity or our body or our parenting or anything else is often a revealer of stuff that is happening underneath the surface that God wants us to examine. Now, sadly, most people today don't take time to do this kind of internal examination. A deeply formed life that is marked by uh, self-knowledge, it requires time and attention Two things, two commodities that most people feel are in short supply today. Humans are complex. There are so many invisible forces and influences that collide in our interior that affect our mental and emotional and spiritual lives. Things like the family that you grew up in will affect who you become. Spiritual forces past wounds and trauma, personality makeup, neural pathways, stress, relationships, all of these things and a million others colliding on the interior of your life to affect how you feel, how you think, how you act, and the fruit in your life. And honestly, I think that for some of us beginning this journey, it's really hard to sort of unravel that tangled up mess. And what I've discovered is that for a lot of people, what, like what is needed is probably some professional help beginning the process of inter- interior examination. I want to say clearly, as pastors of this church, we wholeheartedly support things like counseling, therapy, spiritual direction, and the rest. Now, I've always felt like I'm a pretty introspective person and a super healthy individual, and I don't need anything like therapy or counseling. Are you kidding me? That's for like people who need it, not me. And, um, and this year I felt like God actually called me to, uh, to go find some professional help because I, because I'm blind to so much that is happening under the surface. So I got uh, connected with a spiritual director, which is a person who just really helps you sit in in a really focused way and listen to God and let him kind of direct you into some stuff. And, um, I got to tell you, it has been profoundly helpful. I cannot recommend enough making the investment to get some help in this journey. And so today what I want to do is like lead our church through a simple exercise that my spiritual director took me through a little while ago. Um, it was, uh, it was basically just, um, a four question, uh, prompt to lead us into just considering how things are going. It was like a spiritual health inventory. And so what we're going to do is we're going to create a little bit of space just for a few minutes. And then, and I'm going to ask a question. I'm just going to invite you to sit quietly and listen. You can take notes on your phone if something comes to mind or write something down or just make a note of it. Um, and then, and then at the end, we're going to go around the sanctuary and all of us are going to share. (laughs) Sorry, I'm totally kidding. Definitely not doing that. Um, uh, no, we're just going to, and then what I want you to do is to, uh, to take some of those notes and to just chew on them through the rest of this week. Then I will also have these four questions put in our newsletter later this week. If you want to take some time and sort of journal it through later on your own. Does that sound good? Okay. So I'm going to ask a question, give a minute or two of silence for you to listen to God, write stuff down if you want. And, um, and then we'll, we'll close at the end of that. Okay. So Holy Spirit. We just invite you here this morning to 
help us take a couple of first steps into checking what's underneath the surface. We may not have all of the knowledge in the world of how to be able to fix issues or even how to understand or diagnose issues, but we pray that today we would begin by simply um, opening the hood and just seeing if anything is steaming, seeing if anything needs work. Holy Spirit, lead us into ourselves in Jesus' name. So the first question I want you to consider is, in this season, what are the dominant thoughts that run through your mind? What are the dominant thoughts that run through your mind? Okay, the next question we're going to ask is, in this season, what are the dominant feelings you experience? What are the dominant feelings you experience? All right, the next question we're going to ask is, in this season, what is the condition of your body? How does your body feel?
Last question. In this season, what are your deepest and or strongest desires? All right. Good job, everyone. Go ahead and look at somebody next to you and smile at them reassuringly. Let them know it's going to be okay.